Good morning. Please be seated for the reading of God's Word. Hear the word of the Lord from Mark 10, 46, 52. They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was seated by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But many warned him to keep quiet, but he was crying out all the more, have mercy on me, son of David. Jesus stopped and called, call him. So they called the blind man and said to him, have courage, get up, he's calling for you. He threw off his coat, jumped up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus answered him, what do you want me to do for you? Rabbani, the blind man said to him, I want to see. Jesus said to him, go, your faith has saved you. Immediately he could see and began to follow Jesus on the road. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, thank you. All right, still in Mark. Uh, yeah, we're at the end of, uh, end of this chapter. A couple of housekeeping things before I get to it. Uh, there are some dogs running around uh, outside, so be aware, okay? Keep your mind right, and we're going to just keep all of our, clo- our doors closed today because there's a pack of four dogs. And here's what I know. I've called Animal Control before on a Sunday. They're not open. Uh, <laughs> What do you do? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But just keep, keep your wits about you out there. Um, it's interesting. Sunday mornings are one of the only times that I have the majority of the church together and I can speak. And so obviously I want to preach the word, but sometimes I just want to share uh, things on my heart. And one thing I've noticed um, over the years of pastoring is this, is that life is hard. And I'm not talking about like stub your toe hard like painfully hard at times. You know, there, there are tragedies and complexities that, that you've either gone through, are in now, or will go through. And the reality is that, that that would be true whether or not you were in church. You would have these, these hard, uh, gut-riching tragedies. But one of the reasons that Jesus has made the church is so that you would not have to bear those burdens by yourself. It doesn't make it uh, not hard, but it certainly makes it less hard. The fact that in life's trials and the disappointments, the mistakes, all of the ups and downs that, again, because I'm a pastor, I hear stories, and I'm I'm with people, and I'm like, man, life is, it's not just a little bit hard. There's some weighty, heavy things. But I know that when the weighty things are going on in my life, I feel the relational and spiritual support of the church. And, and I want everybody to feel that. I want them to feel that, that Christ has given us a gift, and one of those gifts is one another, that we would share those burdens and, and life together. So, so if you're in here and you're like, I don't, I don't quite have that, man. Uh, two encouragements. One, I, uh, me and the, the other elders, the leaders, we would love to, to share burdens with you. We, call, we, we consider it an honor uh, and a privilege. Uh, and, and secondly, I uh, want to throw out uh, growth groups. Man, those are uh, kind of the mechanism our church has to, to be able to share those burdens on a regular basis. But Jesus doesn't want you to go through the burdens and the tragedies of life by yourself. He, he wants 
uh, those burdens to be shared by his people. It really doesn't have anything to do with the sermon, but I got you all here, so I wanted to say it. All right, so we're in uh, Mark 10, 46 through 42. Um, you know, when, when you really want someone's attention, attention and you expect them to respond, let's say at first you don't hear them, you keep reaching out, right? Like if, if you're like, oh, he didn't hear me, let me just say it a little bit louder. Now, if you didn't think he would respond, you wouldn't keep saying stuff louder, right? If you actually, you're like, maybe he didn't hear me, I don't, I don't know what happened, but I'm going to keep on calling out because if he hears me, he's the type of friend that I know will, 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 will respond. If, if you're talking to somebody who doesn't care about you and you, they didn't hear you, you're like, well, I'll just go about my business, ain't like they's going to care anyway. But if you're really talking to somebody who you know cares for you, you're going to keep calling out, not because you don't believe that they'll help you, but because you do. Your confidence in their ability and willingness to help you is shown by your persistence, right? And we can see this in the life of Bartimaeus in this text. And one thing I want you to carry from the day is this, is that Jesus responds to those who keep calling on him. Jesus responds to those who keep calling on him. Let's pray and ask his help. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would open up the scriptures uh, in our hearts today, that you would speak to us, Lord, specific things, Lord, areas where we need to be convicted. Would you convict us? Areas where we need to be comforted. Would you comfort us? Your word is just life. It is life. So Lord, give us life from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So look at verse 46. It says, they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a large crowd, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. What I get from this verse is this, is that Jesus is not too busy for us. Jesus is not too busy for us. Now remember the context. Jesus is going to Jerusalem to face his enemies and die for the sins of the world. That's what's happening right now. Can you imagine there was some stuff on his mind? Can you imagine that his heart felt a little heavy? Let's just say that he was occupied with important things and important thoughts. But he was not too busy for this man. He's not too busy for you. You know, when we think of people who are in this category of, of beggar, we, we often don't pay attention to those who are in need. Yeah, we just kind of go about our business, look the other way, suppress in our heart a concern. But Jesus, he's not too busy to pay attention for those in need. My encouragement to you is that, is that we will be people who pay attention that we wouldn't be so focused on the tasks or the thoughts that we are occupied with, though they may be important, as dying for the sins of the world would be, though they may be important, that we would not rush through life so that we cannot see those in need when they need help. You know, maybe, maybe it's just looking at someone and offering up a prayer. I'm, I'm going to tell you all something. I... I Y'all, y'all might think I'm somewhat depressed. I drive, when I drive around my neighborhood, I, I, I look, I just kind of look around like who's in need. And y'all, I see, 
I see, and, and my, my heart is burdened. And, and at the same time, I'm like, I don't even know how to help them. I don't even know what to do. Sometimes the problem is so systemic, I don't, I don't know how to fix the thing. But that cannot excuse me for not looking. And it does not excuse me for not praying. Beloved, look, look at those in need around you. And speak words of kindness. I feel like those in the category of Bartimaeus, they're often seen as non-persons. Obstacles to walk around. Things to dodge. But they are made in God's image. And we should offer them the dignity of a word of kindness. You know, often when we think of, of folks in the category of beggar, you don't really hear their name. Beggar, homeless, unhoused. But you see here in Scripture, Scripture honors this man by naming him. You know, they didn't really have last names like we had last names. So why does it say Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus? He's like, I'm talking about that one. That's, that's his whole name. That's his, that's his government name, if you will. I'm not talking about a random person, some, some needy person that I can just walk by. No, this one, this Bartimaeus, this one who was blind, this one who was a beggar. Scripture honors this, this man whom nobody was honoring with the dignity of identifying exactly who he was. And Jesus pauses his world-saving work to help this man. Beloved, Christ is not too busy for you. Maybe you're the person who needs help. And you think, well, maybe my troubles are too small, or maybe they're too insignificant, or maybe there are more important things. Christ is not too busy for you. And I want to tell you something. Christ has some things to occupy himself even now. The Bible says that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He is ruling the world, praying for the church, protecting his people. His hands, is, uh, uh, from my perspective, they seem a little bit full. I don't know. There's like two billion people praying to him all at one time. All right? That, that feels like that's, that's hands that are kind of full. But even though he is busy and occupied ruling the world for the good of God's glory and his church, he is not too busy for you. Even now, he takes time to lean in close, and you have his ear. Beloved, that is the, the, the miracle of, of, of Christ, that he has this, this world of concern, yet he can look at you in, as an individual and say, I hear you. That's the care that he has for you. When we get to verse 47, we learn that we need to call out to Jesus when we're in need. This one don't have to be too much of a theological tree stage, y'all. This is just plain. He said, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I needed to read it like I think he said it. He didn't say he whispered, right? He began to cry out. <clears throat> when Jesus came near, he did not hesitate to call to him. And I can imagine this guy had heard something about who Jesus was, his, his healing power, the fact that he had healed blind people before and he couldn't see Jesus coming. But when he heard that he was near, he said, oh, snap, he's here. This is my chance. He's right here. I don't know where he's going. He, he goes from city to city to city, but he's here right now. And I better call on him because I know he's here right now. And you're thinking, wouldn't it be nice if I knew where Jesus was? If he was just walking by, and I'm like, oh, snap, I need help. 
Let me tell you something. The scriptures teach us that we actually do know where Jesus is. There's this, there's this kid's book called The King of Christmas. I know it's a kid. I have kids, so I read kids' books, okay? Uh, and, and, and the whole point of the book, he, the, the, the author in the book is going, uh, is the king of Christmas in a manger? Yes. Is the king of Christmas, you know, uh, you know born of a virgin? Yes. Is the king, king of Christmas on a cross? Yes. Is he in a grave? No, that part's cool. Uh, but then, then it goes, it goes, well, where is he now? Where is the king of Christmas now? Being Jesus. And the, and, and, and the book says, the word where he promises to be found, is the, kingdom, is the king of Christmas there? Yes. And then it's a picture book. And in the, in the background of these words, is there, there's these four pictures. And each has a heading. The first heading says, preaching the word. And has Jesus preaching. And the second picture, it has baptism. The third picture has communion. And the fourth picture, it has forgiveness of sins. And what the author is trying to convey is, where is Jesus? Jesus is with his people. Jesus is, is accompanying the preached word. Jesus is, is, is here when we're doing baptism and communion. When you hear the proclamation of, of your sins are forgiven, Jesus is there doing that. What this means is that we might not see Jesus physically in the body walking around, but Jesus is in the means of grace. The things that were prescribed, listen, Jesus is revealed in the scriptures. You're like, I wish I knew where he was. Beloved, he's there. Jesus comes near to us in prayer. You're like, can I, can I see him? No, you cannot, but when you pray, he is near to you. Jesus says, when two or three are gathered in my name, where am I? There. There. You're like, I wish I, I, wish I knew where he was. He gives you some clues to where he was. And where he is. In other words, this, if we saw Jesus in the flesh walking down the street, we'd probably hop out our seat and run over there. Yet Jesus promises to be in the scriptures. He promises to be near us in prayer. And he promises to be when his people are gathered in his name. Why aren't we tripping over ourselves going to those places? If that's where he said he's going to be. And I don't like, look, look, I, I'm not blind like Bartimaeus, but I need some help. I don't know about you. Sometimes I need some healing. I'm like, where is he at? Beloved, that's where he's at. So if you need help, that's where you go. And I like looking at, at Bartimaeus' approach, kind of studying what he, what he said. He, he, the first thing he said, he cried out, son of David. Listen, the first thing that Bartimaeus does is he recognizes whom he's speaking to. He calls Jesus an honorific name. Why is he calling him son of David? Because there's this Old Testament prophecy that there would be a son of David who would have an eternal kingdom and that, that his kingdom would last forever. He's saying, oh, that's him. That's him. Jesus is the, is the son of David, the eternal king whose, whose kingdom will last forever. Listen, how would your faith increase if you remembered whom you were speaking to when you prayed? Maybe Barnabas was bold because he knew who he was talking to. Maybe he, 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 he's like, he, he cried out with force because he knows, no, who am I? Listen, when we pray, we're talking to the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the author of life, the sustainer of creation, the lover of our soul. That's who we're talking to. And if we remembered who we were talking to, 
I believe our prayers would be more bold and have a lot more confidence. We're not talking about some weak, some weak, puny God. We're talking about the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer, the sanctifier. That's the one whom we're talking about. And beloved, if I remember who he is when I'm in times of trial and trouble, I'll be like, well, there ain't nobody else like that except him. So I should call on him. Not only does he recognize who he's talking to, he just plainly tells him what he needs. He got one of my favorite prayers, as you know. What did he say? Lord, have mercy. <laughs> he said, I need your help. Give me what I do not deserve and what I did not earn. I, I just, I, I love the plain speech, have mercy, help me. I, I can't do it myself. I didn't do anything to deserve it. I didn't uh, do this, this great thing to earn it. But I know that, that you are merciful and you, and you give what others don't deserve. So have mercy on me. What we see in verse 46 is that, that we don't need to be afraid to be, to be misunderstood in our pursuit of Jesus. Look at verse 48. Many warned him to keep quiet, but he was crying out all the more, have mercy on me, son of David. Now, let's pause. Why would they tell him to be quiet? You see, he's blind. Like, I mean, like, like you, this Jesus, you, when blind people come to Jesus, what happens? Like, why in the world would they tell him to be quiet? Uh, maybe they thought that Jesus was just too busy. Like, he, he's going to Jerusalem now. He got to chill out. He's busy. Maybe they thought that he didn't matter. Bartimaeus, beggar, just going somewhere. Maybe that's what he thought. Or maybe they thought that he lacked proper manners or decorum. And that's kind of what I think. In other words, they're like, why are you yelling like that? That's too much. Bartimaeus, you be extra. Chill out, man. You, you talking too loud. Does it really take all that? Does it really take all that? One of the things that's interesting is I think, I think Bartimaeus is an example of the fact that God delights in expressiveness. See, expressiveness towards God can make people uncomfortable, yet it does seem like God likes it. I just seen, I said seem, right? I, I, one, one of my, my favorite stories about expressiveness is, is when King David is dancing. So King David is, they're, they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant. It's a celebratory thing. He's doing this thing of Thanksgiving. And, and in 2 Samuel 6, 16, it says, As the Ark of the Lord was entering the, the city of David, Saul's daughter, Michal, looked down from the window and saw King D David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. It goes on to talk about, hey, David, look, it don't take all that, bro. Don't you know what they're going to think about you if you do that? That's too extra. David wasn't sad, but he was, rather he was grateful to the Lord and it showed. And, and what, what we learn from the story of Bartimaeus and the story of David is that we don't need to let the opinions of others dictate our pursuits of God. Beloved, if, if you want to praise, praise. And if you need help, don't whisper. <laughs> Jesus draws near to that, y'all. We need to pursue Christ with all of our hearts. He's not too busy. He values you. And God seems to honor raw pursuits of him. And listen, you seek Christ even if it causes others to look down on you. Whether it's expressiveness or any other thing, it always sounds like this. Look, I know you want to seek Jesus, but does it really take all that? Do you really got to be that serious about it? 
Is it, calm down, man. Is it, is, it, is it that big of a deal? In other words, people are saying, you can seek Christ as long as it doesn't make me uncomfortable. But if your pursuit of Christ makes me uncomfortable, can you get away from me? And what I say to that is, forget that. <laughs> forget that. Beloved, we need to seek Christ no matter what others' opinions are. No matter if they're thinking we're being extra or religious or uppity, whatever the words is, man, I, I remember when, when I was first seeking the Lord, uh, when I was in high school, people would say all kinds of stuff to me. They'd be like, you think you're better than me? I'm like, no, I need help. Like, and I, I know who, I need to go to him. <laughs> like, maybe it looks to you like I'm being extra, but I just want to get to him. I want to be near him. I want to please him. See, in verse 49 and 50 is that Jesus responds to persistent prayer. <clears throat> Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they, got, they called the blind man and said to him, have courage. Get up. He's caring for you. He threw off his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Now remember the type of prayer this man was doing. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't elaborate. It was raw, honest like his emotions were just on his sleeve as he was calling out to Jesus. And I think that those are the types of prayers that God hears. In the Psalms, we have this book of prayers. This is what they are, book of prayers. And I want you to hear what it sounds like. This is Psalm 42, 1 through 3. It says, as a deer longs for the flowing streams, so I long for you. I thirst for God the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. Can you feel that? Or, or how about Psalm 63? It says, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. I often think, what, 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 what would it be like if we heard some of those during our, our little prayer time in the middle of, of service? You're like, all right, everybody can pray. God! You know, <laughs> you're like, we'd probably be like the people around Bartimaeus. Hey, man. <laughs> but it seems that God draws near to that, and we should not be afraid to tell God how we really feel and what we really think. Because God draws near to that transparency, that honesty. And one of the things I, I, I noticed when I was studying the verse is, so remember, at first people were like, shh, Bartimaeus, chill out. And then they're like, have courage. <laughs> Get up. He's calling for you. I'm like, man, forget you. You know, like, like th their perspective completely goes the other way. <laughs> people love the fruit of persistent seeking, but they don't like what it costs to get it. All right? They're like, man, forget you. Oh, he calling you? Oh, he listening? Oh, that's so awesome for you. Listen, listen, listen. A lot of times we will look at maybe, maybe God's favor on somebody's life or the fact that maybe God uses them effectively in ministry or service, and we're like, man, look at the fruit of that. But oftentimes we don't know the cost. You know, it would be really cool to heal like Jesus, but you want to fast like him? I'm not trying to fast for 40 days, are you? 
I'm just saying, like, we can look at the fruit of God's favor, the fruit of answered prayer, and we can be so joyful, but we often overlook the fact that there was some pain and some struggle on the way there. You know, in Hebrews eleven six, 6, it says, it says, now without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Here's the thing you need to know. Salvation is by grace through faith. You didn't earn it. You didn't work to get it. But often our experience of God corresponds to our effort. Your salvation is free. You ain't paid nothing. You couldn't if you wanted to. But oftentimes your experience of God, it is contingent on your effort in pursuing him. He says, if you're going to seek God, you must do what? You must believe that he rewards those who seek him? Why else would Bartimaeus be crying out like he was crazy? Because he believed that God would reward his pursuit. Beloved, I, I, I want the, the fullness of who God is. I want to see him at work. I want to see him at work in my life. I want to see him at work in your life. I want to see him at work in, in the community. And I'm like, listen, Lord, let, let's, let me seek you however you want to be so. Regardless of what anybody thinks, because I believe that you reward those who seek you. <coughs> the last couple of verses, we, we see that Jesus draws near to faith. In verse 51, it says, Then Jesus answered him, What do you want me to do for you? Rabboni, the man said to him, I want to see. Jesus said to the man, Go, your faith has saved you. Immediately he could see and began to follow Jesus on the road. Now, I feel like a lot of times we, we try to define faith. What is faith? And I think this is a good example. So Jesus said, your faith has saved you. So there's something about the quality of this man's faith that teaches us about what faith is. So let's try to define faith in the story. The first one is that he had great respect and honor for Jesus. Remember the son of David, you are the eternal king. You're the king who's going to rule forever. And then he said, Rabboni, what does that mean? Honored teacher. Faith means that you honor Christ, that you honor God, that you honor how good and awesome that he is. But faith also means a persistent and heartfelt pursuit. Remember, he cried out, no matter the consequences. When we look at, at faith as defined by Bartimaeus, it is not mere assent. It's not like I believe it like it's a fact. It's, it's, it's a belief that actually is, is pulling action out. It is pulling respect and honor to God, and it is pulling a pursuit out. That faith is active. It's not a passive faith. It's a faith that, that, that is moving him towards God. So when you say, I have faith, we, we have to examine, examine the quality of that faith. A lot of people in the crowd would assent to the facts. Oh, yeah, Jesus is cool. But Bartimaeus' faith pushed him. And, and effort and pursuit came out towards God. And Jesus looked at that faith and says, I like that. I like that. I'll draw near to that. 
Christ delights in our faith. He heals this man and he commends his faith. That means that we need to have an honoring and an act of faith because that's the type of faith that Jesus draws near. Not one that is checking a box of facts or that can pass a test, but one that has a true cherishing of God in the heart and a deep pursuit. That's the one that Jesus draws near to. And the last little point is real easy. If Jesus answers our prayers, we ought to follow him. But I, love, I love that little last thing. He says, immediately he could see, and then what did he do? He began to follow Jesus on the road. This man did not just get what he wanted and walked away, right? He's not a guy who made a, oh, God, if you heal me, I promise you I'll fall. And then, then God delivers. He's like, oh, I guess I'll go back to my life. He says, oh, snap. Jesus has been kind to me. And if I have experienced the kindness of Jesus, then he deserves that I should follow him. And don't you agree? If Jesus shows us kindness, then we should follow him. And maybe some of y'all are like, well, I ain't like Bartimaeus. What has Jesus done for me? How do I know that Christ has shown me kindness? Because the scripture tells us in Titus chapter 3, in verse 3, it says, We too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by grace, we may become heirs with hope of eternal life. How do you know that Jesus has been kind to you? Because all of us could find ourselves in that verse 3, foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, uh, 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 living in malice and hatred. We were all somewhere up in there. And Jesus looked at us and said, let me show you some kindness. God has shown us kindness despite our sin by drawing near to us. Not only that, that God has shown us mercy. In verse 5, he says, he says you were saved not because you earned it. You didn't do something awesome and God was like, good job. No, you were saved because of Christ, because of his work, because of his sacrifice on the cross. Beloved, you're like, has God shown me kindness? No, he has shown you an eternal kindness in Christ. He has shown you that kindness. He shows you that kindness through his church. And in verse 5, it's, it's got this really weird verse. It says, through the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. What is he talking about there? I'm going to tell you, he's talking about at least one thing. Some a lot of things. But what's, what's that washing about? Every time you see that New Testament word, washing, that's baptism, y'all. And where you get that at, y'all? Church. Say, God has shown you kindness by pouring out his spirit through the means of grace through the church. And not only that, in verse 7, it says that we, because we're justified by his grace, we become heirs uh, with the hope of eternal life. God's kindness is shown to you by the promise of eternal life. So that means we ought to come to him. 
Beloved, if you're someone who hasn't tasted the kindness of God that is in Christ, the kindness of God that is offered to you in salvation, he, he says you should confess your sins and believe in what Christ has done for you. And his kindness is poured on you now and forever. Beloved, we can be sure that Jesus has shown us kindness. But not only that, let's say we're, let's say we're in that, like, we, we, we good. I believe Jesus showed me kindness. I've trusted in him. Well, I think the next move is, well, what does it mean to actively follow him? What does it mean to have an active pursuit? Remember, remember, like, what is, what is Bartimaeus doing? His, his faith is actually moving him towards Jesus in a quite an uncomfortable fashion. And when I thought about this, I thought about everything that we do as far as spiritual formation or spiritual discipline, that is us pursuing Jesus. And I thought, well, what are the practices that Jesus calls us to do that in our culture would be seen as like, whoa, that's a little extra. Chill out. Here's a couple of thoughts I have. I think if we want to actively pursue Jesus, that we would have a commitment to transparent community. We live in a very privatized world. We want, to, we want to keep everything here, keep it close to the chest. We don't want to talk about our struggles. We don't want to talk about what's, what's really going on. I'm like, well, me and Jesus can, can handle that. But then Jesus says, I think John read the scripture, Jesus says in, in, James, in James that that we should confess our sins to one another. Well, Jesus, can I just confess it to you? That's kind of being extra. I got to tell him what I was thinking the other day. That's, that's, that's a little much, but, but, but listen, listen. God promises healing in this. And, and, if, I, and if I want to, his healing and I, and I want to experience the joy of the freedom of forgiveness, I would pursue him even in the extra spiritual practice of being transparent in community. You know what else is seen as being a little extra these days? I think a commitment to holiness in life. Listen, listen. A lot of times we're really occupied with the fact that we need to believe the right things, and, and we do. That's important. But listen, a life spent fighting sin is a call to Christ for his nearness and help. A life spent that says, I'm going to actively say no to sin. I'm not going to darken the door of his house. And I'm going to arrange my life so that I can fight sin and pursue holiness. Others might be like, man, that's kind of extra, man. Grace, chill. You know, like, it's all right. No, no. You say, no, but, but no, no, I need him. I need him. I, I, I want my faith to be active and honoring to him. And if, I, if my faith is active and honoring to him, it is a faith that says, I'm going to do whatever it has to do so that I can live into holiness and fight sin. And maybe others might think that's extra. Good. I don't care. I can be close to Christ and receive his help. There's a lot of examples. Maybe, maybe God's calling you to do something and you're like, won't that feel like a bit much to everybody? So what? Your active pursuit of Christ, that calls him near to you. And you remember what it says in Hebrew? He's a rewarder of who? Those who seek him. So I don't know exactly how God is calling you to seek him. I don't know exactly what pressures you might face in that pursuit. But here's what I do know is that Jesus responds to those who keep calling 
on him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your, your scriptures. Thank you for your word. And that it, it stretches us, it challenges us. Um, but Lord, it challenges us for the sake of, of love, for the sake of, of nearness to you, Lord. So Lord, I, I know that you are calling people to specific obedience this morning. And Lord, I am asking that you would give them active faith. A faith that diligently pursues you, no matter the cost. Because we believe that you reward those who seek you. Lord, let us be a church that is categorized, that's known for active faith. Because, Lord, we want you to draw near. Lord, we, we want you to be at work in our lives. We, we want you to be at work in the lives of our family, our friends, our neighbors. Lord Jesus, so, so we're seeking you and drawing near to you in hopes and in confidence that you, you will show your power and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.